Batman and Captain America. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. I'm Amélie. Taking you through uh, the show's first DC Marvel crossover, John Byrne's Batman and Captain America from 1996. And from Ohio or not, a big fan of one of these characters, <laughs> guess which, <laughs> Amélie Montour, uh, a fan of the character, but not necessarily a comics reader. No, I read one comic. It, it, was it this one? No, 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 no. Uh, um, oh, before this one. <laughs> no, I read the um, the Harley Quinn uh, origin story. This is the only one I own. Well, other than the one Mad that Mad Love? You, yes. Um, other than the comic that you gave us for Christmas last year. <laughs> the Armadillo. Yes. Captain Amer- it's a Captain America comic. So it is. It is. You had a little... <laughs> just a little... So you come to Captain America from the movies. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I've always kind of had a penchant for him because... <laughs> I mean, I am a history major, and I'm doing my thesis in history as well, and I've just always loved the World Wars, and um, just been a big fan. The World Wars, they were great. (laughs) They were great. Um, (laughs) No, they're just a really big fascination for me, and I just really like the aesthetic of the period, and I don't know, men in uniforms. (laughs) Just works for me. Well, uh, good enough. Uh, in each, so we'll see. In each episode of FW Team Up, one panelist will pick one character to defend. Uh, so in this case, I'm, Eddie, I'm guessing... Batman, clearly. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. No, Captain America. All right, so I will take Batman. And this is the golden age Batman, in a sense. Both characters are living in the 1940s. And as is customary, we preface with a reason, or reasons, why we like the character we've chosen. So, I mean, what, what's so great about Captain America? I don't know. I think we had a discussion. The butt? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the butt is great. Um, <laughs> reference to episode whatever, whatever number it was, yeah. <laughs> of Ohatmo. Great thighs. Um, but, I don't know. I just... We had a discussion about this last week about how I thought that I liked bad boys and like I think I have more of a tendency to like clean cut characters. Like I I like Cap and who else did I say that I liked? Oh, I like Legolas and uh, my boyfriend's decently clean cut. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's just the uniform and the period and the patriotism, and I don't know, even if it is American, <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm a huge fan of Captain America, I have to say, and a lot of people ask me about it because we're Canadian, so how can we like Cap? But mm. I think, you know, his values are yeah. more universal than that. I love what he stands for, because in, in um, what is it, Civil War, he <laughs> stands for um, his beliefs and what he thinks is right and not the state and um, the government and whatever, so... I really enjoy that in him, and I think he's really sassy sometimes, and I enjoy that. I think he's, that's the kind of patriotism yeah. that any country can, any person from any country can feel, mm-hmm. because it's it's not about who's in power, what's the government like, or it, it's about what's right, what's right, and what, you know the, the values you think your country should project. 
Yeah. So, Siskoid, why Batman? <laughs> well, because he's the other character in the piece. But, uh, but you know, uh, Batman shows up a lot in this show. You know, he teams up with a lot of people. He's a oh, very really? popular character. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to defend Batman a number yeah. of times. So just a little one thing that I like about Batman. Since in this case, uh, it is more or less the Golden Age Batman, I will mention his vehicles. And they are featured in this. I like how the original Batmobile and Batplane all had a, a Batman face in the front of them. I have opinions about this. <laughs> okay, we'll get to it later. But uh, I, I really like that retro design. I yeah. think it's goofy. The classic Joker car is the same. It had like the Joker face in the front. So, I mean, it's not... It's not the sleek Batmobile <laughs> no. of even the 1966 show that I think is the more classic one. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people like the cool Batman 89 Batmobile. And then it's like tanks. It, they become tanks in later movies. Mm. It's terrible. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I really like those, those old ones. I mean, it's kind of silly, but that's part and parcel why I like comics, I think. <laughs> Fair enough. And it's not to say that I don't like Batman either. He, he no. is part of the Yogi Boogies that I like. <laughs> I like bats and That's right. wearing black and stuff. Black, uh, bats and uh, what is it, octopi. Yeah, octopi. I have weird tastes. <laughs> uh, all right. So usually here we do publication history. And I, I never talk about Batman because he's a long-running character that a lot of people know already. Uh, I We're not going to do the publication history of Captain America because he will reappear on the show. Uh, and possibly with a comic book expert on Captain America who can do it for me, <laughs> you know. Uh, but these guys are no mysteries. So let's just do a little public, uh, publication history on on the Elseworlds label, because this special prestige format book is an Elseworlds. And what does that mean, and uh, where does, does that start? It might be relevant to talk about that. It's an imprint or label from DC Comics. And surprisingly, it wasn't used on many team-ups, you'd think. You'd think any cross-company crossover would bear the logo since an appearance by Spawn or the Predator or Judge Dredd would immediately call out to the fact that this isn't the standard DC Universe, it's an else world. But in this case, it seems like it's only an else worlds because of the 1940s setting, not because of the Marvel characters that appear. Anyway, DC has a long tradition of telling imaginary stories, like uh, those Silver Age stories where Superman marries Lois Lane or whatever. But by the late uh, 80s, it wasn't very common. And in 1989, as part of the Batmania connected to the Tim Burton movie coming out, DC was putting out a number of Batman graphic novels. One of these was Gotham by Gaslight, which reimagined Batman as existing during the Victorian era. Oh, what? <laughs> There's even a movie of this now. They, they've animated it. I need this in my life so much right well, now. Well, <laughs> I can... I can certainly lend you the book. It's great Mike Magnola art, and, and but it's also been animated. I think it's now available on DVD. It sounds amazing. <laughs> it was pretty cool, and it was unique at the time. It's oh, we. It's not what if something happened. It's well, it's what if Batman existed in another time, another place, mm -hmm. and that's what most of the Elseworlds became. It was a massive success at the time. It prompted DC to create that Elseworlds imprint. So when they reprinted Gotham by Gaslight later it would be an Elseworld. It wasn't actually set up that way originally. And they'll publish over the course of the 90s and beyond dozens of pricey specials, most of them starring Batman in some other era or parallel 
reality. Uh, it was pretty much Batman and Superman's game because they were so iconic, but other characters got to share. Technically, the first book to bear the logo was Batman Holy Terror in 1991, and in 1994, that year's annuals were all Elseworlds stories. In 2003, DC scaled back on Elseworlds. The format had become a little tired, uh, but uh, they would still publish them occasionally up through 2010. The most famous and popular include Kingdom Come, which envisions the DC heroes as being older and being replaced by 90s anti-heroes, and Superman Red Sun, in which baby Kal-El is found and raised in the Soviet Union. But like I said, there are dozens of these, and very few that could make the show. Uh, I think there's like Batman and Houdini team up in one, so that, that might be... Interesting. <laughs> it's for later. Uh, but this is uh, it doesn't actually have a title. It's just called Batman and Captain America by John Byrne with colorist Patricia Mulvihill. And, uh, well, let's get into it. Let's do our patented synopsis. Let's do it. January 1945, Gotham City. The Joker is racing away from the police in his Joker-mobile, making fools of them by throwing up an oil slick. But the Batmobile has countermeasures, allowing Batman and Robin to stay on his trail. The trail ends on the docks, but the Joker escapes thanks to an ejector seat. Before they can inspect the Joker-mobile for clues, it explodes. Batman and Robin jump into the bay to escape the blast. Europe, where World War II rages, Captain America has joined Sergeant Rock and Easy Company to fight a gigantic Nazi war machine. Cap climbs the giant tank's threads and wedges his indestructible shield in its gears, causing it to fall over. As soon as it's over, Bucky shows up with a message from Army Intelligence that they've both been called stateside. 20 hours later, their plane is flying over Gotham when it gets a distress call from a hijacked transport plane. Cap jumps out of the plane and lands on the other. But that plane's gunner starts firing at him, and he winds up hanging by a cable until he is caught by... The Batman! Hanging from a rope ladder from the Batplane. They angle for the hijacked plane and board it, easily winning a fight with the hijackers, even if they're outnumbered four to one. They discover the cargo is Robert Oppenheimer, the scientist heading the Gotham Project, what our world would call the Manhattan Project. But before they can interrogate the hijackers, they all die with rictus grins on their faces, the result of Joker gas delivered through a skin patch the Crooks wore. Captain America meets with military intelligence who thinks the Joker is just a pawn of some greater threat. They think the person manipulating the Joker is millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne, one of the few people who know about the Gotham Project because he's one of its financiers. Though Cap thinks the evidence is pretty flimsy, his alter ego Steve Rogers has been assigned as Wayne's bodyguard to protect him against the Joker's henchmen. His mission is to infiltrate Bruce Wayne's household and confirm his status as a fifth-column spy. With the government-mandated Private Rogers in his way, Bruce Wayne can't dress up as a bat every night. <laughs> but maybe he can risk shedding his bodyguard and keep his appointment with the Joker. Steve overhears his last phrase and mistakes it for proof that Wayne is working with the Joker. Keeping watch that night, he sees Bruce sneak out of the manor and follows him to the Wayne Foundation building. Steve climbs up to the penthouse and crashes through the window, thinking he'll catch Wayne red-handed. They fight, but are evenly matched. Which really surprises super soldier Steve Rogers. But Bruce Wayne clues in and recognizes Rogers' fighting style. He is actually Captain America. <gasps> they talk it out and shake hands. Elsewhere in Gotham, the Joker rants about all his plans falling apart, and he's not too happy with his mystery ally complaining to him about it. The mystery man ends his call with the clown prince of crime and takes his rubber mask off. 
he is the Red Skull, and he will not be questioned by his own henchmen about his alliance with the volatile Joker. He throws a gas capsule at an underling face, his dust of death, that kills you while leaving you with a Red Skull face. Four hours later, in the snowy outskirts of the city, soldiers are guarding the road through which the Gotham Project prototype, dubbed Fat Boy, will pass, when they are hit by a fit of giggles from which they die. <laughs> the Joker's boys take their uniforms and stop the convoy. Back in the Batcave, <laughs> Batman and Robin are showing off their stuff to Cap and Bucky, including a crucial clue, traces of plutonium found in the Joker-mobile. They put the puzzle together. Hitler, having abandoned his version of the Gotham Project, the Nazis are no doubt employing the Joker to get their hands on the American version. While Batman tries to find out where the prototype will be, Cap and Robin answer Commissioner Gordon's bat signal. He tells them about the dead soldier, and Cap extrapolates where the Joker might be based on where they are found. Meanwhile, Bucky is riding shotgun in the Batmobile, as the heroes visit potential lairs for the Joker. When they get jumped by bad guys, they think they've found it, but as green gas descends upon them, it's the Red Skull who gloats. Cap and Robin follow their own leads to the docks, where they find Coast Guard personnel dead with Red Skull faces. At the Red Skull's hideout, Batman and Bucky are tied to a car lift, still alive. But the Red Skull has set a bomb in his lair and it explodes once he's left. Meanwhile, Cap and Robin are driving the Bat Cycle to a secret military airstrip where Fat Boy is likely to leave the city. Indeed, the Joker is there gassing all the soldiers and meeting up with the Red Skull's high-tech plane to deliver the Gotham Project prototype. The Red Skull offers the Joker a place at Hitler's side, but the Joker is a patriot, damn it! and is outraged that he's been working with a Nazi all this time. Both throw their respective gases at the other's face, but it has no effect on them. The formulas are too close to one another. So the Red Skull just has one of his men knock the Joker out with a blow to the back of the head. They load him up on the plane so that he can be taken to Berlin as an example of America's monsters. But first stop, Washington, D.C. The Batplane, carrying all four heroes, accosts the Red Skull's craft, however. Batman, of course, managed a Houdini-like escape from his lair. Furthermore, he warned the airbase and all the soldiers there faked their own deaths while the heroes prepared to ambush the Red Skull. Speaking of which, Robin turns magnetic grapplers on and locks onto the Skull's plane. The Red Skull manages to dislodge it, but not before Batman and Captain America successfully board his craft. While the heroes fight the Nazis, the Red Skull ducks into the bomb bay where Fat Boy, the world's first atomic bomb, is ready to be dropped. On Washington! Cap takes command of the plane and turns it away from DC, but the Skull could still drop it now and irradiate the capital in the bomb's radius. The Joker wakes up and starts to smash the drop controls. They fight on top of the bomb and the Skull manages to make it drop. They both tumble out of the plane with Fat Boy. Thankfully, Cap has used the plane's great speed to carry them away out over the Atlantic. He and Batman pull the plane up so that it is not caught in the atomic blast. Safe, they head back to meet with Robin and Bucky, not at all convinced they've seen the last of their respective villains. Twenty years later, Dick Grayson is Batman, and he and his new Robin, Bruce Wayne Jr., are coming back from an adventure in the Bat Submarine when they come across something biological in a block of ice. And it's still alive. It is Captain America. Frozen in the ice since the end of the war, awakened, he's taken to the Batcave where the elder Bruce Wayne welcomes him to the world of the living to carry on the never-ending battle. So that's Batman and Captain America. Woo. Uh, so what did you think of this story? Um, I found it super interesting. I liked 
to see the contrast between uh, Captain America and Batman and also the Red Skull and the Joker and seeing that they have kind of similar uh, fighting planes and that they have the similar strength and similar tools and weapons and whatnot so that they have difficulty fighting against each other. I found that super cool. Yeah, I like that they're evenly matched because around this time there was a series called uh, DC vs. Marvel or Marvel vs. DC, call it what you want. And they had the characters fighting and whichever side won, something happened. And they put Batman against Captain America. And they had Batman win, and I was upset. Because <laughs> I don't think Batman should be as good a fighter as Captain America, or a better fighter than Captain America. Although, the way it was done, was sort of a cheap shot, like well, an, almost an accidental. Uh, but, you know, showing them to be equally matched. Nobody's a winner between them. There's no character that's shown to be better. I think yeah. that's an important balance to strike when you're doing that kind of story. Yeah, but I like that there's still, like, a... They underestimate a little bit the strength of the different um, heroes in certain cases, like where Batman escapes uh, because he's not fully knocked out with the gases because the Joker would have <laughs> made sure of that. Yeah, the Red Skull doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. They, because he they trade know, enemies. He doesn't know the, the weakness and the strength as well, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah it does. You know, it just strikes me that the way that the Captain America story is supposed to end in the 40s in the comics, is that Cap and Bucky are strapped to a missile and um, sent somewhere to explode. And um, I guess Bucky is supposed to have died in that. But it's just like in the movies, mm -hmm. he, you know, he turns up later. <laughs> uh, but uh, Captain America, you know, smashes into the water and is, gets iced up or whatever. It's kind of, it's not the Red Skull doing it, but it, it feels a bit the same that they put Batman and Bucky strapped to a bomb, basically. Yeah, same kind of feel. What did you think of the Robin and Bucky? Because uh, those two can also be compared. They're both teen sidekicks. I don't know. Uh, these guys didn't have as much respect for one another as Batman and Cap. No, well, Bucky seemed to be prouder of his companion. <laughs> be like, ha screw these guys. <laughs> We're so much better than them. We're, we operate on a much larger theater. Yeah. <laughs> He's clearly boasting and being super proud and I'm cool with that. I like Bucky. Yeah, Bucky's kind of a bad boy. Oh, see, that's that that might be where uh... everything works together and I get the best of both worlds. <laughs> uh, so, okay, you were wanted to, to talk about the vehicles. Oh my god. So... <laughs> No, it doesn't work for you? Okay, well, first of all, I'm reading this, right? And I'm not used to, like, the ridiculousness of comics. So, Batman starts cleaning the road with his street-cleaning Batmobile? Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous to me. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> well, he's, he's prepared for any eventuality. I know, like, oil slicks are a thing. So, I guess it makes sense. But I was just... I was thrown off by that. I was like, really? You're... Okay, so the, <laughs> so the, the sort of gimmicks... The utility yeah. belt aspect. In reality, that seems like it takes a lot of room in the Batmobile that could be, like, weapons or, you know, not more useful things. Because I guess that is useful if oil slicks are prominent. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And just the Batplane, I can't. I just... <laughs> I the can't. look of it? It's not aerodynamic at all. <laughs> it makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, that flat-nosed plane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's just how it was. Actually, John Byrne does tweak the design, you know, makes it more modern in the sense that there's like plating. It's like very, very glossy and made of like Atari material. Okay. 
originally, you know, you didn't see all that detail, you know. So there is just like the big war machine. It's a war wheel. And we've seen war wheels in DC before, just like these mm-hmm. giant wheels that just crush European villages yeah. during the war. Uh, but this one is like very complicated and detailed. It's not just a big red wheel with yeah. spikes on it. It's, you know, it's bigger, you know, scarier look, but blockier. It looks less like a wheel to me. Anyway. No, it's, it's really, it's just a huge tank. It, I guess that's what it's supposed to be, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you've read the comics, you would recognize that this is supposed to be a war wheel design. But yeah, you're right. It's it's totally more of a giant tank. But the idea, of the yeah, the, war the same, thing. the same kind of idea. One of the things that you might not have noticed is that a lot of uh, storefronts and place names in the story are tributes to Golden Age uh, writers and artists that worked on Cap or Batman. Tell me more. <laughs> well, see, there's like, uh, I think there's a, a Moldoff. There's a store that says like Moldoff something. It's Sheldon Moldoff. Uh, there's, uh, I think the airfield has uh, Joe Simon's name on it. So you've got the creators. Uh, Dick Sprang, who was a Batman artist, is also name checked. So when you're doing a story like this and you're setting it in the past, John Byrne is paying tribute to the people that came before and the designs that they created. So because he's re- returning to those really old designs, so he's kind of giving credit. It's historiography uh, in comic form. Is that, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you might need an explanation for the end. Well, not you, maybe. but It's in the movies. Yeah, okay. Well, yes, that, that whole thing where the Avengers find him. Yeah. Uh, in the comics, it's the Avengers that find him. Here, it's Batman. The, 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 the reason I say that is that the ending is actually connects to another Elseworld story. Ah. So for people listening to you, it just like, okay, Batman obviously got older <laughs> and got replaced and, yeah. uh, in this story. John Byrne, he just set this in another continuity called Generations that he did, where he let the heroes get older, spawn new generations. So if you're the Flash, you were born in 1956, or you became a hero in 1956 in the comics, that's when you actually premiered. But then by the 80s, the guy's 50-something, right? So yeah. it's, it's something like that. Batman gives up the mantle to Dick, so Robin becomes Batman, and there's a new Robin who is called Bruce Jr. And yeah. So it's basically those same characters are used. John Byrne didn't think of it himself, which is interesting, because it says special thanks to uh, Roger Stern for suggesting this epilogue. Roger Stern, who's another comic book writer, you should put that in the same uh, continuity. So, yeah. okay. That's the explanation for the ending. No, oh, that's cool. I was super okay. surprised and pleased about the Joker being against Nazis. Ah. That was cool. Everybody hates Nazis. I was really happy about that. It's So anyone out there who's still loving Nazis, <laughs> what the, what's going on? Yeah, even the Joker <laughs> is like, nah, 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 nah. That's, that's too horrible. Yeah. Fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Joker is a patriot. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed. And I, it just made me really happy. It made me smile. <laughs> In, in this horrible world, <laughs> yeah. at least we yeah. can get that. Uh, did you uh, k- pick up on the whole uh, Gotham Project, Manhattan Project? Um, no. Switch? <laughs> Oppenheimer? And, uh, that's not no. part of your... Um, it's not part of my wheelhouse of uh, war knowledge. Your war, wheel, your <laughs> my war wheelhouse? My war wheelhouse. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, as, soon, as soon as I saw Oppenheimer in there, you know, it could have been Einstein or something, you know, but Oppenheimer was very much associated with the first atomic bomb. So mm-hmm. I knew already and before they called it Fat Boy, which was... Yeah, well, I knew the, the bomb yeah. name was a reference. So I guess they switched, they decided Gotham is Manhattan in this reality. I guess so, which makes sense. Yeah, Gotham is supposed to be New York at night. Yeah. 
in, you know, in the comics. Metropolis is New York during the day, and Gotham is New York at night. So it's the Manhattan Project, the Gotham Project is all the same. Or the goddamn project, <laughs> as uh, our friend Adrienne, who you might have heard on Lonely Hearts, doing a voice here and there. She, she's following a. I just want to. Literary. Yeah, I just want to. Literary tell, philosophy. Tell this story. Her detective novel uh-huh. course, and it's given in French. So, and the teacher talked about Batman and Gotham City as a prototype for, for detective fiction, and. Um, the teacher was uh, convinced that it was goddamn city. Yeah, and she was making all kinds of religious yeah. references with that and pop it's culture. It's brilliant because it's called goddamn city and the city is damned. Uh, it's like... <laughs> no. Mm, I think Adrienne had to maybe <laughs> tell her... Uh, I don't know if she did, did she? I, no, I, I'm, I'm guessing she didn't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to err on the side of um, she was too shy to do yeah. it. It's not the first time that I've heard someone be in a course that bullshit is being <laughs> spooned out. <laughs> because there's a pun to be made there. But yeah. I, I don't think that was at all the original no. intent. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. Let's talk about who fared better on certain questions that we have every show uh, about the story. So first... How well does this fit each of their worlds? Is this more of a Captain America story or more of a Batman story? I think it did well because in the beginning it felt more like a Batman story. And I I, I was thinking about the questions that you had given me um, while I was reading. And I was convinced for a while that it was. And then by the end, I was pretty convinced that it was more of a Captain America universe story for sure. Why? <laughs> because everything is orchestrated by Red Skull. Oh yeah, he's the main, main villain. Even the Joker turned yeah. against him. So he's kind of like the frame for the entire story. And it's a war story. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, There's an atomic bomb that blows not, not that far from Washington. <laughs> yeah, I'm not know. sure how. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a war story. Yeah. If I were to take the other side, which I must, <laughs> um, to say that this is a Batman story, it is a detective story... You know, it starts with Batman. It's even, the, I think, you know, the Joker's got the Joker gas and all that. And then the Red Skull is also using a sort of Joker gas. It's like everybody's copying Batman. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, uh, and, you know, but but I agree with, I have to agree with you that this is Batman slumming in World War Two, And World War Two is Captain America's turf. Yeah. I really like the first page. Like the... Um, the Bat Signal. Yeah, and I, I like the text that felt very Batman. Super gloomy and poetic and... Yeah, kind of know. pulpy. Yes. That didn't feel Captain America. That's why I was convinced in the beginning, because it felt so dark. But as soon as Captain America shows up... Everything's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's talk cool moves then. Who had the coolest moves? Well, I guess... I mean, I didn't find anything that striked me particularly, but the, the move with the shield at the beginning with Cap is pretty cool, with destroying it. Huge war machine with just his shield. That's Granted. Awesome. Um, yeah, Batman is a little more low-key, I think, in what he does in this. Because like, the cool moves I liked were combined moves. Moves mm-hmm. with Cap. Yeah. So the two times that they fight. though The first time where, where they fight alongside one another uh, on the plane, it's it's very well choreographed. They're hitting guys at the same time. Yeah. They're back-to-back. Yeah, the back-to-back like bros. is really cool. Yeah. And then later on, when they do fight one another in their... Uh, civilian identities, 
they or civilian. Can we say that about <laughs> Private Rogers? Uh, <laughs> in their non-super identities, it's just to a standstill. They're just blocking and and figuring out who the other guy is yeah. just based on their body movement. You know, mm -hmm. so I like those little bits where they fight together and then. Because they, they fight so well together, then they can notice when they're in, not in disguise. Yeah. And it's almost like when they fight together, they're just kind of like talking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you don't even notice that they're fighting because they seem to work so well together that they're just kind of having a conversation while they're beating up bad guys. <laughs> That's a comic book trope where sometimes some writers will go, wait, it's like, how did this all happen? <laughs> how did they have this long conversation in <laughs> within this frame it's like when people dance and sing yeah <laughs> how do you do that yeah. but in this case i mean they got smiles they're finding it very easy uh they're i think they're they may be fans of one another <laughs> you know that's yeah. kind of a, it's oh. a respect at least yeah oh fun <laughs> i get to team up <laughs> really uh here i guess uh, if we, I, we had to give it to someone i'm sort of sharing mine with Cap, and Cap has his own super yeah. cool move. Uh, I guess uh, Captain America wins. Uh, dumb or weird moves? They don't need to be necessarily dumb, but they can be kind of strange. Yeah, I think we agree on that one. Uh, yeah, because it is a shared... They're very competent all the way through. Yeah. But then there's this weird bit where uh, the... I guess it's more of a Batman weird move, because he's the one that explains it. Yeah. That after he escaped, he told the airbase about the Joker's plans, and then they faked their own deaths. And then let... They were immune to the the gas, or... And I don't know. And then I, they just I let... missed... Yeah, and then Fatboy... They let Fatboy leave so that the superheroes can stop it, but, you know, it's already... You're in the air I already. Like, I feel like there's a page missing in there. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a um, quick, why did they need to have those soldiers survive? I don't know. It panned out kind of weird. I almost felt like I blanked out for a minute because I didn't understand why the bomb was gone. And once <laughs> you turn a, a page, you can't go back, you know. <laughs> uh, I tried. Yeah, no, just, yeah, okay. So we agree that this is a strange point in the book. I think that's a badly explained yeah. and not necessary no. to the, you know, Batman saving the... It felt more like a Silver Age thing where in the Silver Age, nobody dies Uh, because the comics are supposed to be wholesome, and the superheroes do a lot of explaining why what you saw wasn't what you really saw. <laughs> But that's like 20 years mm -hmm. too early in the timeline. Yeah. And finally, the friendly farewell. This is a tradition with team-ups where the heroes at the end get to say goodbye or, or don't, and we rate the friendliness <laughs> of their farewell. Uh, so what did you think in, in this case? I mean, I think they're pretty friendly, and they realize how they're in the same situation where their villains just keep coming back because they kind of have that moment where... Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> because there's that ending where the Joker and... Uh, the, the Joker and the Red Skull get nuked. Yeah. But the heroes are sort of... Mm, <laughs> I am nah. We haven't seen a body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they kind of bond on that ridiculous <laughs> trope. And, and then there's a, another goodbye because... They find Cap in the ice much later, and uh, and then it's like, welcome back to the family. It's, you know, bring yeah. him back to the Batcave. It's pretty good. They have they seem to have a really good relationship. It feels very retro. It's not Cap going, oh, I don't like your methods, or... No, and it feels very, like, patriotic, and, you know, just kind of whirling this together in the fight against Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. All right, we'll take a break for a couple of promos, and then we'll be back to wrap things up. Perfect. 
coming soon from Amalgam Comics. The American Knight faces his greatest foe, the Red Card, as the Knight's Empire storyline continues. Joined by Bucky, the boy soldier, and Sharon Gordon, operating behind the scenes as Oracle 13, he must stop his archenemy from breaking a host of war criminals from Arkham Prism or see the European theater overrun by Axis supervillains. On the stands next month, wherever they carry imaginary comics. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's Who's he? He's uh, Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. We're back, and our final feature is the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes the perfect Captain America team-up. So you've been thinking about this, Amidi. <laughs> okay, this morning I didn't know what to do, because I wasn't sure if it had to be DC, because I don't listen to the episodes. So, um, I had some questions, and then I did some research, because I wanted to see what he had done, and then I saw that he had done a team-up with Union Jack, and that there were... Vampire Nazis involved? Sure, yes. What? <laughs> I need to read this too. You need to start making me a pile of vampires and okay. Victorian guns. I don't think I have those issues, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I find that really interesting. But then I asked you um, if it needed to be DC, and you said no. And you said it could be Lion King if you wanted it to. And then I started thinking <laughs> that... Simba would be a cool match. How? I think... Because he's kind of patriotic too, right? He has this, like... Kingdom? Kingdom that oh. he needs to rule. And he he has, you know, his own concerns with his emotions and what being right with doing with his power. And I don't know. It, it could be a good match. But then I continued thinking and thought that I want Captain America to have a dog. <laughs> Okay. I've decided he needs a dog, and that would be my perfect team-up. Captain America with a dog. He needs a puppy. What do we call him? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, like Gold Star or something? <laughs> <laughs> Stripey? For my part, I, I put Captain America... I, I, didn't, I wasn't as imaginative, I guess. <laughs> uh, I put Captain America in with Captain Canuck, who is an indie superhero. So it would be a natural U.S.-Canada collaboration probably during the Cold War with Soviet agents crossing the North Pole, which was kind of the first Captain Canuck story. Maybe it's even another version of being found in the ice. He's thawed out by Canuck in time to help thwart the invasion in the Northwest Territories. Is he skating? And then he <laughs> sees him in the ice? And then he, he, he starts going around and around and around until he cuts him out of the ice? That would be an amazing story, and I want to write that. Uh, maybe. I, I've never seen Captain Canuck with skates, but it doesn't mean it hasn't what? happened. I haven't read a whole lot of Captain Canuck stories. They're hard to find. Uh, well, uh, thanks for teaming up with me, Amelie. No problem. Remind people where they can find you on the internet. Um, I have a YouTube channel, if you guys are into makeup. <laughs> it's uh, a... There's a major crossover <laughs> a audience. 
Amy Ultraviolet on uh, YouTube and on the Ohatmu um, stuff as well. So, yeah, you are uh, one of the six ladies on the Ohatmu or not. I am. Right here on this network. We have merch. We, we do have merch for the Ohatmu or not um, thing. So uh, check that out at fireandwaterpodcast.com. A reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments and that the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcasts. Thanks again, Amidi. No problem. It was a pleasure. And see you next time for another amazing superhero team up because after all, justice is a team effort. How many more of these?